doing? How are the moms doing? Seriously? If that's all we got, then guys, you, you got to get your kids given something this morning. Hey, seriously, it's exciting. We love Mother's Day. A lot of you know that my mom passed away when I was 23. And, you know, Mother's Day should for me should be one of those, uh, could be one of those things that's um, depressing or whatever it may be. But I have to confess that it really is. I love my mom. I miss my mom. And uh, but but when I get to Mother's Day, what I have are incredible memories. I have incredible memories. I have moments, times and, and thoughts in my head of, uh, of times we laughed together, sometimes we cried together, times we played together, right? Times of sitting down and talking. And so I want to encourage you today, no matter where you are in this whole like mom spectrum, whether you had a good mom or a bad mom, right? Whether Mother's Day is a happy event or could be a sad event. I want to encourage you today to celebrate. Even if that means you have to work really hard to find something to celebrate about your mom, right? There's something there. And I would encourage you, even even as kind of a lifestyle shift, by nature, and I, I don't know where I'm, I just feel like I just want to show this this morning, that, that one of the things that challenged me years ago, and is actually from Mike Mosley, Randall's cousin, uh, he was talking about this, the nature of parents, and he was talking about his own dad. And if you know his story, he and his dad did not have the best relationship. But he got convicted somewhere around, he's like 35, 36 years old, saying, just convicted and said, you focus so much on the negative. Spend some time and focus on the positives. Take some time and just find just where, where I was moving through your dad. And he said, I had to literally, it took me a while. He said, I literally had to sit down. I had to can just, can just release my frustration, release, release my anger, release my offense. And in the midst of that, all of a sudden memories came back. And I was literally able to go to my dad and say, Dad, you know, we, we both, I just want you to know that I forgive you in the areas where you failed me. But I want to just say thank you. And he was able to share that one story. And I think that's the nature. I just want to just encourage you this morning as it relates to our parents. I recognize that so many of us carry so many things with our parents. And so many, some of you, your, your good stories outweigh the positives. We take time and celebrate those. Remind your mom of that today. But there's some of you who carry weight or even offense as it relates to this day and who your mom represents. I want to encourage you today to take some time and release that the best that you can and say, God, just I want to cherish and be thankful for the mom that you gave me. And I encourage you to take some time, no matter where you are in the spectrum, and before the Lord, and do that today. For we do want to thank God that he gave someone to us who cared for us and obviously got us to the place that we are. And so with that, moms here at Vintage, thank you. Thank you for all that you do, whether you are literally, as we're going to talk about earlier, you're a, a mom with kids in the home or whether you're, say, you're, a, you're a spiritual parent with someone in your life that you're investing into. I recognize today and celebrate the fact that God has given us moms. And I want, to, I want you to hear me say this clearly. The, mother, the mother's heart that you have is really God's heart that he's given you. And I want you to think about this and just taking us back to Genesis in creation. God created male and he created female. Right. And the idea was he took out of man, which basically means that that God can only listen, can only be expressed through male and female because the fullness of himself is placed in both male and female. 
which basically means this, that the, the mother heart that you have really is the mother heart of God. And I don't want you to get all weirded out. I'm like, well, he's called father. I get that. But the reality is God is not defined in Scripture at all by sex and gender. And the fullness of who you are then as male and female. Listen, man is only complete when female is reconnected. And so the idea this morning, it's this Bible, this this Genesis. And I share this with you because I want you to know I celebrate you moms. I celebrate Jesus in you. And I celebrate your heart. Because there's something about a mom's heart and about her life. Where we get the phrase mama bear, right? That moms can be so sensitive and loving and compassionate until you just mess with their kids. And then something else comes out. And I want to say to you, that's the heart of Jesus in you. And so this morning, we celebrate you and celebrate your life and celebrate all that you do. We are thankful for you. And vintage would not be vintage without you. And so thank you. Well, this morning, I was going to show you a video from No Hungry Children, which is a ministry that we've supported with our year-end offering. And I'm going to do that next week. But one of the things that, and I say that because this week, one of the things I've been humbled by and been thinking a lot about is the, is the idea of how humbling it is to be a part of something that is bigger than myself or bigger than ourselves, even as a body of Christ, right? We obviously went to India for a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago. And, and when I was there, I was, I was very aware and acutely aware that, that, that what was going on there was much bigger than myself. Have you ever been a part of something like that? Something that's, that you get there and go, it's not because of me and there's nothing, nothing's happening because of me. This is just, this is just much bigger than myself. And as I sat there and watched God moving in India, I experienced that reality, something bigger than myself. Or when, when I, and next week you're going to watch this video from No Hungry Children. We gave $4,500. I don't know if you know this, but back in January, we gave $4,500 to, to this feeding program in Nairobi, Kenya called No Hungry Children. And literally this money was invested into this one school. And that one school, these children, like hundreds of kids who were not having meals back in December, yeah, who were not having meals now are receiving meals every day. These little kids right here, this is the orphanage that we support, that money has been given to, that we came alongside of. And I don't know about you, but when I look at these little kids and I realize back in December, they didn't have one warm meal a day, possibly we're going without any food during the week. And all of a sudden I recognize just, just 4,500 bucks. I mean, literally just 4,500 bucks. And we're feeding these kids for an entire year. I don't know about you, but that's something that is bigger than myself. I look at that and think, God, that's, that's big, right? That's something big. That's something huge. And next week, they're actually having this massive fundraiser. I encourage you to pray into it literally out in, uh, out in uh, Texas and this massive fundraiser. All the radio stations, TV stations are going to be coming. I want to encourage you to be praying for that this week, right? We're going to actually have some stuff that we're selling next week. 100% of the proceeds are going to go into No Hungry Children. But the idea is this. We're a part of of something that's bigger than ourselves. And so when we were in India, one of the things that we got to do was, was to go and visit Daughters of Hope. Now, Vintage is connected to and supporting several different ministries all over the world, but one of them is, is Daughters of Hope. 
It's in community with, connected with, Karube home with Tammy, who we did the camp with. But Daughters of Hope is run, run by Molly and Dilla Fila. Do y'all remember them? Do y'all remember Molly and Dylan? They actually came and we met with them on Skype. I actually interviewed them on stage, I think back in November-esque or November-ish, right? And the idea was that, that their, their, their mission is by doing business. The, and here's the beauty of it. They started a, a textile business. And the whole idea and the mission behind it is to take women who were caught in this unbelievable cycle of poverty, right? And to bring them in, teach them a trade by giving, like giving them a job, teach them a trade, right? Here they are, Molly and Dylan, right? Teaching them a trade. They are feeding them every day. They're giving them, they're giving them a child care. Literally, one day, Molly asked one of the moms, hey, so what do you do with your children? She goes, oh, when I walk out the door, I lock the door behind me so no one can get out. No one can get in and no one can get out. And they're like, and she's like, that can't happen anymore, right? So they started offering childcare, and the children are coming in. It's just a, a beautiful, beautiful picture, right? And then, then literally every morning they're coming together, and, and then they're giving them the most important thing that they have. They're giving them Jesus. Every morning, Molly and Dylan are coming in. They're having this time of, of worship and of prayer and of, and of Bible study every morning on the work site. Now, one morning we got to go. It was powerful. We got to go and literally we, we drive up in our bus and the women have gotten there early because they're excited about going in and worshiping and they're excited about praying together and excited the community they have. Not all of them are Christians, right? But they want to come anyway, just hang out. They just love the atmosphere, right? How many of you know that lost people, people who don't know Jesus, love being where Jesus is because there's something profound about who he is, right? And so they come together and, and they walk in and they're just smiling. The kids are there and they're smiling. They bring us into the kind of the, the floor where they do a lot of the work and they pull these grass mats out and they lay them on the floor. And they just, and then we didn't, so we sit and they just begin to worship. They begin to pass out books. They're singing in Tamil. We have no idea what they're singing, but it sounds good, right? Really, some of it not so good. They can't sing that well. But anyway, so it's this beautiful moment, right? Just being honest, okay? So we're sitting there in the moment, and I'm, and I'm, and it's one of those things. Like, I, our rest of our team enjoyed it, but I don't. But I think it, it it wrecked me. It wrecked me because I'm sitting there and I'm and I'm on this this. The, on the on the floor and i'm watching these women and they're just singing and they're chanting they, just, they have like they're clapping all this kind of stuff i just hear them singing and and i'm watching their faces and they're just beaming with joy and they're and the kids are laughing and you're laughing with them and it's just this beautiful moment of the community of, of the family of god and community together and worship and in prayer and then taking the bible and 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 just opening it up and just sharing something briefly right a word of encouragement it's beautiful. And as I sat here, I watched and, and I was just undone because here's the thing. I had passed thousands of women. Literally, when we're driving on the streets, we're passing thousands of families, thousands of women. And I watched the women on the streets who are living in poverty. I mean, they're in the, they're in the cycle of poverty. And they're literally wondering today if their children are going to have food to eat and wondering literally are their children going to get some foodborne or or waterborne illness today and are they going to die it's like a 50 50 chance they're going to die early just living on the streets and every single one i'm sitting there and i'm watching these women recognizing all of them used to be that 
All of them represented every woman I'd ever passed, except something had happened in their life. There had been this breakthrough. There had been this opportunity that had come along because someone, Molly and Dylan, had answered the call with a business as mission to come and to love on these women. And what they did is literally pluck them from the cycle of poverty they've known literally their entire life. And now... They're living in this place of freedom, in a place of joy. You see, all of these moms, if we were to talk about them on Mother's Day, are just like every mom in the world. In their moment, they were living in a perpetual desert. We've been talking about living in a season of a desert of brokenness, of, uh, of God restoring joy and all this kind of stuff. But these women literally were living in a, in a physical, a physical desert of nothingness. They're literally caught in the cycle. I've said it three or four times, the cycle of poverty with no opportunity and no chance of getting out, just trying to survive and trying to guard their children so their children don't die. I mean, Arame, right? The smallest children, the smallest kid at, at Karube home. Literally, she'll, the, the story about Arame is that, that the social worker was driving down the street. In India, there are open sewers about, probably about as wide as from this pole to this pole right here. Okay, it's pretty wide. Open sewers in India. And you drive, and literally going into the city, there's this raw sewage that's coming down, right? And the social worker was driving by with RMA's mom who had AIDS in the process of dying like this, getting ready to throw her over into the open sewer. Now, uh, can you find a picture of RMA? I just want you to pull it up, okay? Because I want you to see that the, caught in the cycle of poverty, what happens. And literally, RMA, you're about to see her. She is beautiful. She is funny, right? She has these eyes that just make you do things. You know what I'm saying? Like that. She bats the eyes like, sure, you can have everything I own in my life, right? Because she's just so cute and she's so wonderful and she's, she's so beautiful. And she's literally like this in the air about to be thrown into the open sewer. See, this cycle of poverty causes parents to do crazy things because her mom's like, I don't want her caught in the same cycle. You see, moms, they are protective. I mean, you know how a person caught in the cycle of poverty, death is a gift. She was giving her everything that she could in this, her, this horrendous moment. She's like, I'm about to die. My daughter's not going to be taken care of. It's going to be awful for her. See, cycle of poverty. And so these moms, because they're mama bears, right? They come to, to Molly and Dylan and they sit there and and they're pleading, like saying, I need a job. And Molly and Dylan look, come in. She's like, you don't understand. I have nothing. My, and about 90% of them, my husbands are alcoholics, do not have jobs. If I don't get something, we will not make it and we will not survive. I'm pleading with you, falling at their feet. Would you please give me a job? Because if you don't, I'm not sure that we will make it. Here's RMA right here. There she is. You see what I'm talking about? It's caught in a cycle of poverty. And her mom's like, I've got to do something. And these moms sit at the, literally sit at the feet of Molly and Dylan. The hardest thing for Molly and Dylan is to say, we, have, we, can't, we can't hire anyone else. They have hundreds of people with their applications and coming in. Please, would you give me a job? Please, would you give me a job? See, every day in the cycle of poverty, 
just trying to survive. And they come in. And here's the thing. All they want is work, right? All they want is a paycheck. They have no other expectations, no other expectations. Just, just give me a paycheck, right? But here's the beautiful thing about Molly and Dylan. When, they, when these women come in asking for jobs, you know what they do? They sit there and see, yes, you have a, you have a base need, right? You have a base need of survival. But, I, but we know that the ministry, that this is a ministry, and what's going to happen is a holistic outpouring of love upon you. Because what we're going to do is we're going to bring you in, and yes, we're going to give you, we're going to give you a paycheck. We're going to pay you just a little bit, a little bit bit above what's fair, right? We're going to pay a little bit above what's fair just to honor you, right? And then we're going to come in and we're not going to give you a job. We're going to teach you a trade because we recognize that some of your husbands, they're in, they're in construction and a job's going to take them somewhere else. And immediately what you can do, because we're teaching you how to not just to give you a fish, but to catch fish, right? The whole mentality, right? The Chinese proverb, we're going to give you a trade. We're going to teach you textiles. You can go to any city in India and you can find a job immediately because we're going to teach you not just to do it, but to be good at it. And we're not going to teach you a trade, but we're going to care for your children. We're going to bring them in and we're going to teach them. And we're going to lead them and teach them about Jesus. And we're going, to, we're going to give them food to eat every day. You no longer have to worry if they're going to be able to eat today. They're going to be able to eat every day. The money that we gave Molly and Dylan, $5,000, was to go towards their feeding program so that every day these children, these moms, can have food to eat, Right? And then, not only that, but we're going to sit down with you and share the good news of Jesus with you. And if you remember the story, remember Molly and Dylan told us the story of the one woman who couldn't speak the language the day that they shared the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. Do you remember that story? She literally spoke some random language that no one really could speak. And so that night she went home and she had a dream. And in her dream, Molly came to her speaking in her native tongue and literally shared the gospel of Jesus with her. And she gave her life to Jesus in her dream. And she woke up a follower of Jesus because I guarantee you that was the Holy Spirit speaking into her life. And she came the next day with someone who could speak the language and told her what happened. They all jumped up and down the Jesus dance of joy. Right. And she's living for Jesus now, loving Jesus. This holistic idea. And the idea I want you to see this morning is the moms came in with the mama bear heart, caring for their daughter, caring for their children. Just saying we're going to fight because we want to survive and want our children to survive. Base level of Molly and Dylan over here saying, but we have so much more. See, the message that I believe God's speaking to us this morning through this is simple. All of us have been talking about being in our own desert, right? That God is, he's breaking us from this place of status quo. He's making us primarily hungry and thirsty for him. So that the primary thing that we desire in life is, is him and to be near to him. He's making sure that nothing else satisfies and gratifies us. And in the desert, we get to that place and there's like this, this place of survival. God, we just, we just want to make it through. God, we just want to survive. God, just, just, just give us something to eat. God, just give us something to drink. God, just give us joy god just give us breakthrough god just give us something and he looks at us in that place and i want to say to all of you in the place of our brokenness and helplessness in the place of our despair and the place we're overwhelmed and there's no hope in that place we just want to survive we want just want something god just just give us something to eat and drink of right we can just touch the hem of his garment he says oh but i have so much more 
I have something holistic that I want to do in you. Something that's a big picture. Something like Molly and Dylan could offer to these women who just wanted to survive and said, oh, no, 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 no. Holistically, we have so much more that we want to pour into you. And what that becomes for us in the desert, what that becomes for us in the desert, this reality, it becomes hope. It becomes the hope of the fact that Jesus has something huge for us when we just want to taste. And the idea of what God wants to begin to do this morning and next week, we talk about the the, infilling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He wants to begin to speak and build and grow this reality in our hearts and our minds and our lives, right, of the fullness of what God has for us. That we never shortchange ourselves what we believe God for, but this big picture, holistic picture of what he wants to do. And so we begin to look at that. I think the, a picture we begin to see and we begin to study it is in Acts chapter 1, the second half of verse 4 and 5. Jesus comes and he speaks to his disciples. And he tells them this. Hey, guys, men and women, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, he says, now listen, go wait. Listen, go wait. For when the Holy Spirit comes, he will clothe you with power. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. And after verse 8, you know where Jesus went? He ascended. He was all of a sudden taken up in their midst. And I would say that Scripture tells us that when that happens, is the disciples were, were filled with joy, and they went back into Jerusalem. They went back into the upper room. This is a really nice room in someone's house, and they're there. Now, the time, just so you know, just for you know, calendaring's sake, there, were t- there was 10 days between Jesus' ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. 10 days, okay? 10 days. Now, here's the thing. I don't really know exactly what went on those 10 days. All we know is that they were together in unity in the upper room, praying together that the Holy Spirit would come. But let's be completely honest. How this if I were to do like a Q&A, how on a scale of one to 10, how well do you think the disciples did? If one's bad and 10's good, how well did the disciples do when Jesus was gone for three days? Would you give them a one or a ten? Just shout it out. A one. Thank you, Kelly. I heard that. Right? A, a one. The disciples didn't do so well. Right? We know the disciples, some of them, right? The two of them walking the road to, the, the road to Emmaus. They're like, oh, life is over. There is no hope. We thought he was the one to come, but what do we do now? Right? They're just overwhelmed. There's this place of, ugh. So, so Jesus came back. They're celebrating, but now he's gone again. And now they're supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit. And what exactly does it mean to be baptized with fire, right? I mean, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Exactly what does this mean? They've never seen it. And all they know is Jesus is gone. And I don't know about you, but when Jesus isn't with me, there is a sense of desert. 
There is this, when I can't sense his presence, when I don't know his presence with me, when, I'm, when I feel alone, there's a place of, of, of need that arises inside of me. There's something of like, oh, this doesn't feel right. I'm unsettled. So I, I'm just guessing because they're human beings like every single one of us and like me, that there was something of tension inside of them because Jesus was here. Now he's not. He's told us to wait for something we don't understand. How many of us like to have understanding of what's coming next in life? And when we don't know what's coming next, we freak out with tension in our lives. Human beings, disciples, right? There's this moment. And that's why and I would say this. I don't know what God is exactly is teaching them in those 10 days of prayer. I don't know about, but when you go 10 times 24, so 240 hours together in prayer in unity, I bet God's speaking and doing and awakening something in the individual. And I'm just guessing in the moment, in their place where Jesus is gone, and they don't know what's happening next, and they're living in this tension, probably the roller coaster of like, but he was here and can promise something to us, but what does it really mean, right? And I know he loves me, but he's not here, and they're living in this tension. What happens in that place is that we have desperate need awakened inside of us. We feel needy. How many of you love feeling needy? No one enjoys feeling needy, do you? We get in that place, but God is awakening this need in their moment. They're just crying out in a sense. They're saying, God, we, there's almost this sense of survival. God, we can we just, we can just taste a little bit of you. We can just touch you, God, right? There's probably this whole sense going on of we, we, we just want a part of you. How many of you pray that, God, I just need, I just need something, right? And they're in this place crying out with need, God, oh, we loved you when you were here. And we need you and we want you back, God. But Jesus is looking down when he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And you know what he's envisioning? He's envisioning this holistic outpouring of his spirit. He's envisioning this holistic ministry of Jesus in the life of an individual. He, we think survival like our women, like our women friends in India. And he's thinking like Molly and Dylan, big picture, holistic caring for us in every area of need in our lives. In John chapter 16, I want you to I want you to look at this with me. Jesus comes and he says something that to me that by when I read it for face value, I disagree with it. OK, I want to read something. I'm going to disagree with Jesus, if that's OK. And I think all of you will just from face value. Read with me. Don't get offended when I said that. Verse 16, 7 through 8. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage it's better. It's to your advantage that I go away. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. Right? Verse, keep on going. For if I did not go away, the help, if I did not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and of righteousness and in judgment. And the verse goes on. Within Jesus, we see that there is something that he understood. Let's leave that verse up. That his disciples did not understand. In verse 16, 17, he says, it is to your advantage that I go away. I want to know how many of you ever prayed this. Oh, Jesus, I want to thank you for not walking with me physically on earth. 
God, I thank you, Jesus, that I have it so much better than your disciples who could walk with you and experience you with their five senses. Oh, I prefer it this way. I prefer not being able to see you. Awesome. Good choice, God. Do you pray that ever? How many of you ever prayed something like this? Oh, Jesus, if I could just see your face, God, if I could just be like the disciples, because I'm struggling so much in life. I'm struggling with unbelief. And if I could just see you, I think 100 percent of people, I've even heard people say, if I could see him, I would give my life to him. We live in this so bound and defined by our five senses that we want to see him. But Jesus obviously understood something with his crystal clear vision, with his deep conviction. He says, listen, it's actually better for all of you if I go away. That includes the disciples then. That includes his disciples now. And this then should cause a stirring Right. That hmm, stirring inside of us of what was Jesus saying? He's saying it's better for me that he has gone away in his flesh and it's best for me and for us and for all his disciples. What exactly does this mean? Because I can confess I would not prefer that if I had my druthers. This is not what I would prefer. There is something in what I would say this, that that this reality, God wants to awaken something to us. And wherever we are in life, we're in a desert, whatever it feels like, God wants to awaken something inside of us, this understanding that he has. So the thing I want, to, I want to look at is I read of these verses that I think the word that sticks out to me the most in verse seven is the word helper, the word helper. This word helper is what I believe defines Jesus's conviction about his leaving. See, in defining this word, we find the secret that Jesus understood that his disciples didn't fully get, even when they're in the upper room, and a truth that we must learn and embrace in every season of life. So the word helper comes from the Greek word paraclete, not parakeet, right, but paraclete. And the idea of a paraclete, it has in mind, um, it has in mind one who is, let me find it here. It's a paraclete. Let me see right here. I'll find it. Hold on. It's a helper, right? It's a helper defined. It says, it goes on. It says, in the Greek, several words used to express its meaning. Helper, counselor, companion, advocate, and intercessor. Listen to those words. Obviously, you read the word helper. We have the word counselor. We have the word companion. We have the word advocate, one who fights for us, right? We have an intercessor. It literally means one who is personally called near to give help. A paraclete, one who is personally called near to give help, right? As a helper, as a counselor, as a companion, as an advocate, as an intercessor. The paraclete, we find, would be the one called to breathe life into the community of faith who is sent personally, hear this, to fill the void that would have otherwise been left by Jesus' departure. 
He's the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, literally is the one who's been sent by Jesus to take the place of Jesus. John 14, 26 tells us that this is the Holy Spirit. It says, but the advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sent in my name, will teach you all things. You see what we get at in Jesus is saying, listen, in chapter one, verse four of Acts and coming days, listen, it's better that I go because I'm going to send you my spirit, the paraclete, right? I'm going to send you my help, the helper, the counselor, the advocate, the intercessor who's going to be here and fight for you, right? The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit that, that searches and knows the mind of Christ. That's been sent as our helper in place of Jesus. Think about it. As a person, Jesus, enfleshed in history, he could only be at one place at one time. He could just be with his disciples. And so when he sent the disciples out in Acts... He could have only picked one of them to go with. But instead, he sends his spirit. The spirit who could be present to the church in all places, in all times. In the, his flesh, he dealt with humanity for a particular time. By his spirit, he came to dwell with humanity for all time. Verse 16 of chapter 14 says, In my absence, I ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. You see, in Greek, this word another means of the same kind, but in a different form. Of the same kind, but in a different form. So why is this important? Why are we talking about this? Why is this important on Mother's Day? Why is this important in the context of the the desert? And simply put, I would say this. In the desert, in our places of brokenness, in the revelation of our status quo, in the moment of need, in the moment where nothing's filling our hunger, nothing's filling our thirst, right? We all of a sudden become aware. We become aware of need. We become aware of our need, of our neediness, of our place of not being able to to satisfy our own selves, to gratify our own selves, that we can't make everything okay in our lives as hard as we may try. And we say, God, I need you. And he says, paraclete, I've given you my spirit. My spirit's already present. My spirit is your helper. My spirit is your advocate. My spirit is another. It's, this, it's a, an exact replica, one of the same in a different form as Jesus. The paraclete is sent by Jesus saying, I want you to wait for it. The paraclete represents the holistic outpouring that Jesus wants to give into our lives. Overwhelming us. Not with just a little bit, with the full, but with the fullness of who he is. I think about these women in India who came in saying, if you could just, I'm so needy, if I could just have a paycheck. And they say, no, no, no. We want to minister to the whole part of you. Restore and give food to drink and 
that's food to drink and water, to, excuse me, food to eat and water to drink, to know, to be released for the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit to be released into your lives. We need the helper, the counselor, the advocate, the companion. John 14, 26 through 27, Jesus paints this picture. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Just stop. Listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are denominations out there that say Jesus stopped speaking to his people. As if God could change because he's been speaking to his people from creation all the way through. But he's coming and saying, no, but the advocate, right, who will sin, he will, he will teach you all things. How many of you can't be taught something unless you are listening and hearing something, right? He will remind you of everything that I said to you. There's an expectation in Jesus that the paraclete is going to come and be to his disciples today what he was to his disciples then, teaching and leading and guiding and directing, right? He wants to communicate with us. He speaks and he leads, he loves and he fills and his fruit, right, is poured out into our life, the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. He pours these fruit out into our lives, right? And then he describes the nature of what the Holy Spirit does to us when he comes in verse 27. He says, peace, I leave with you. Peace, I leave with you. He doesn't say he takes away all of the hardships. He says, peace, I leave with you. In the midst of our hardships, in the midst of our difficulties, he breathes life into us. And there's peace for us in the moment. There's peace for us in the lifetime. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. Listen, I do not give as the world gives. How does the world give? They give and they take away, right? They give and they say, oh, just kidding, right? They give, as a, they give for a moment. But Jesus gives peace for a lifetime. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why? Because earlier on in 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send my paraclete. I will come to you. And I will come to you. I will send another advocate in my place. I will come to you in the form of the Holy Spirit. We were never left alone in the desert. Our need is awakened. But what happens is he fills us with the hope that the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is present to lead and to guide and to be Jesus to us. So to all of us in the desert, in brokenness, in need, struggling against the status quo, and again, even to all of us who are flourishing with Jesus, Jesus would say, need must define your life because every day the only one who can satisfy you is the Holy Spirit who comes and moves in your life, who leads and who guides and who directs. So much so that I told my disciples, listen, you can't leave. And do anything until the paraclete comes. Because you won't be able to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You won't be able to do anything apart from his leadership and his guide in your life. You need the Holy Spirit. For without the Holy Spirit, you are orphans. 
How does Jesus know all this? How does he know that we need the Holy Spirit? How does he know what it's going to be like in our lives? And you can say, well, because he's God. And that's partially true, right? Jesus knows all things. He's God. It's not fair, right? But Jesus in this moment had this revelation of who the Holy Spirit was. He had a revelation, yes, because he and Father in conversation had this, this speak. This, you're speaking about the reality of what the Holy Spirit was going to do. But the other part of it and the part that you can't miss was that Jesus understood it because he had experienced it. He'd experienced the leadership of the Holy Spirit in his life. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Remember, we looked at it all last week in the temptation of Jesus. In it, we are told that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is led by the Spirit into the desert. So the Holy Spirit leading Jesus, the Holy Spirit moving in Jesus leads him. Listen, you can't have leadership unless you hear the person leading you. They're in dialogue and conversation. They're communicating. The Holy Spirit says, it's time to go into the desert. And Jesus says, let's go. And he gets into the desert, right? And the Holy Spirit didn't abandon him. The Holy Spirit is with Jesus at all times, right? So the testimony then of the desert was not Jesus being in the desert by himself, right? And a sense of abandonment, but instead it's with the Holy Spirit leading him, guiding him, listen, and empowering him in the context of the temptation to not give in. The testimony of Jesus' temptation is that this is how we all handle temptation, being led and guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who is our advisor, who the one who is our helper, our companion, wherever we go. And we see how it ends in Luke 4, 14, where it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The thing I want you to recognize is this. Jesus' desert experience was not a moment of isolation. It was not a moment of abandonment. Not a moment trying to figure out how strong he was. It was a moment of being led by the Holy Spirit and a moment of being empowered by the Holy Spirit in the temptation that he was facing from the enemy. And one simple truth with lots of others can be taken, and I'll speak of this morning, and it can be taken from this story. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit... And lived awakened to the Holy Spirit and his need for the Holy Spirit every moment of every day, then so do we. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his movement of our lives. We need to not be ignorant about the important third person of the Trinity, right? Who's independent with Father, who's interdependent with Father and Son and moving. He cannot be, as Francis Chan called him, the forgotten God. He is God. And we cannot live clueless and ignorant of the working of the paraclete, the working of the Holy Spirit, because if Jesus needed him and was being led by him as a model for our life, then we too need the Holy Spirit. We need to speak about the Holy Spirit. We need to be aware of the Holy Spirit. We need to worship the Holy Spirit, for he is God, right? Somewhere along the way, we were told in church, don't worship the Holy Spirit, right? Just worship the Father. That's ludicrous. He is God. We worship God. We say, God, you are worthy. We are speaking the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all at the same time. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We need to worship Him. For He is worthy for all that He's done. He is God. 
and the awakening he wants to do in our hearts. As he awakens us to our need in the desert, he awakens us to our need and our brokenness and our helplessness. where We cannot help ourselves. And he waits to hear us cry out, God, I need you. And he says, yes, right? The Holy Spirit is sent. You must wait for him, right? But we don't have to wait. The moment we give our lives to him, the Holy Spirit engulfs us. The Holy Spirit floods us. And then we live every moment of every day crying out, Jesus, I woke up this morning in need of you again. Holy Spirit, come fill me afresh and anew, right? Remember Paul said, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to bad things, but continually be filled every day with the Holy Spirit spirits. And we have to be awakened to the nature that Jesus is with us. See, these women sitting here on the grass mat, worshiping and praising God, right? They're sitting there with the father, with the mother heart of God inside of them, fighting for their children, fighting for their lives. Why? Because of the need that defined them, the need that defined their existence. And they cried out to Molly and Dylan, and Molly and Dylan said, we're not just going to give you a taste, we're going to give you the whole picture. My question for you this morning is, do you believe in this for what God has for us? Or do you live just hoping for this? Are you living with expectation and desire and belief of this, the holistic picture? Are you just hoping for a taste? Do you live in an awareness of the Holy Spirit and what he has for us and with his relationship of communicating with us? Or do we live just hoping for this? See, in this Mother's Day celebration, we celebrate the holistic work of of mothers and what they represent for our lives. And God wants us to be a people who celebrate every day the holistic idea of what he can pour out into us. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Next Sunday is the celebration of the outpouring of God's spirit upon the body of Christ. It is the it's the it's the it's the inception and conception of whatever the right word is. Right. It's conception of the church. It's the birth of the church. It's the birth of the Holy Spirit being poured out into men and women and the fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel. I will, in, the, in the end days, I will pour my spirit on all flesh, on men and women and children. And God is speaking to us this morning saying, I want you to need me. Because in that place, you become a path, we become a highway of my grace, of my blessing, of me being poured out into you. As you sit there and say, God, I can't do anything. And he says, I know. And he pours himself out. Let's pray. Father, this morning, you will awaken us in the desert to our needs so that you can become a lifeline. So that you can pour yourself out. And God, we just confess this morning, there are so many things that we struggle with in understanding you. But, Father, this morning we pray that you would give clarity, wisdom, that you give us understanding of the Holy Spirit. And that, Father, you would open up our ears, spiritual ears, to begin to hear you and to be led by you and to be counseled by you. And for you to, to be our advocate, Father God, for you to be our helper in every area. Father, we love you. We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This